Hi, I'm Rochelle Jackson, and this is The Crime Couch. I'm an investigative journalist and true crime author, and I know who's who in the zoo, the crims, the cops, and the interesting individuals in between. So get comfy and join me here on The Crime Couch. It's going to be one heck of a journey. Valentine Val Smith spent 40 years in police and military service, specialising in investigations. He worked in a number of CIBs, including the Dealers Squad, was the operational manager of Crime Stoppers, and in the State Intelligence Division. After leaving Vicpol 10 years ago, Val's been a consultant for Stopline, the Victorian Department of Justice, and for Crime Stoppers International in Operation Infrared. Val's also created an international company, Missing Persons Network, that specialises in missing persons cold cases. More recently, you would have spotted Val giving his expertise about various cold cases in Channel 9's Under Investigation series. Hi Val, and welcome to The Crime Couch. Hello Rochelle, and uh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. You started your career in the RAAF, didn't you? That's right, 1968, uh, Air Force, that's it. Why did you join Victoria Police? Why didn't you stay in the Air Force? Um, It's a good question. I did six years in the Air Force and I was ready for a change. I wanted to get uh, settled down. Uh, The last posting I had was to Malaysia and it was a sign-on posting, you know. Sign on for three years, you can go. Otherwise, make a decision, pal. So I decided I didn't want to sign on. I got out and I wanted to settle down in Victoria and that's why I joined Victoria Police. Was it a hard decision to leave the Air Force and to join VicPol? No, it wasn't. At the time, I was was married. I had uh, one young child. And we're planning to have another one, which coincidentally actually was not long after uh, I graduated from the police academy in 1974. Well, you've got an extensive history in investigations. Were you always destined to be a detective? Another interesting question, Rochelle. I think what it is, is I I know I have a natural inquiring mind and sometimes I look at a lot of things and I just don't understand, and perhaps I'm not as smart as the next person in that regard. I have to know what's going on, so I pull things apart in that regard. I, I love a challenge. Does that extend to other things in your life that you like you pull apart? Do you pull apart the car engine? No, not necessarily. I don't, not that, but anything to do with certainly natural things like nature and, and wildlife and the bush, why things work in certain ways. I just I, I love to find that out. Unfortunately, as I'm getting older, I tend to forget them as fast as I learn them, you know. We're all guilty of that, Val. You were in the CIB, the Dealers Squad, in the mid-1980s. Tell people that are listening, what sort of crimes did you investigate in the Dealers Squad? Well, the Dealers Squad was interesting because it covered everything from pawn shops, that's P-A-W-N, as opposed to the other, and uh, right through to antique dealers, uh, gold buyers, uh, collectibles, that sort of thing. So you went from sort of street level property right up to very expensive paintings and things like that. The thing about the dealers was as different to other detective groups was that we would often find the stolen property and often there would be a, a villain attached to the property. So we'd have the crook and the property but not know where the, where the crime was committed. And somewhere else in the state there would be a detective that was investigating a crime know what was missing but didn't know where it was. So we'd sort of help bring the two together which was really, really interesting. 
So it's sort of around, you know, upside down different. And I'd imagine too, every, every article that was stolen would have a big backstory behind it. Yes, that's right. I mean, one of the first investigations uh, actually which got me into the dealer squad was that I was conducting inquiries into the Japanese sword, I suppose, business that was going on across the world at the time. And that was fascinating. And there's a whole story behind that, which um, will take half an hour to talk about, but it goes right back into antiquity. I think one of the things I find really interesting about your background, Val, is that working in the dealer squad, like I know my father worked with the secondhand dealers, with the infamous Reg Henderson, the detective with the photographic memory. Did you ever work with Reg? No, I didn't. That was before my time. And yeah, he's, he was a legend, absolute legend. What cases have really stuck with you from a point of view of having an extensive detective background? What cases have stuck with you, Val, and why? That's a very good question and probably off the cuff. I think probably the ones where in the missing persons area where children are involved or young adults, there's a great sadness behind a lot of those cases. It seems such a waste of life when there's a death attached to it. They're the ones that stick with me across the board. Were there any matters, I suppose, when you were working in the CIB and, and the dealer squad, any matters or cases that stuck with you there? I think the biggest case that we ever worked on in the in the dealer squad was the it was a case of armed aggra- aggravated burglary or armed robbery basically on the founder of the All Night Chemists in uh, in Australia who was uh, quite wealthy and he was held up at, at night and his house was virtually cleaned out. Now, that was an interesting case because when the first detectives arrived, they were concerned with the amount of cash and jewellery that was stolen. And then the boss of the uh, the major crime squads at that time called us in to have a look at the property because it involved some paintings and, and certainly a lot of exquisite jewellery. But what we noticed straight away was uh, that there was a large opal collection, huge opal collection. And the opal collection was, was multi, multi-million dollars worth of stuff that was stolen. That was an incredible case, and the offenders in that particular case sorted through a lot of that property after they left the crime, and they threw a lot of the semi-precious stones into the Yarra River. And there were people and young people and, and police officers uh, picking rubies and sapphires, and most of it was you know, imitation uh, or semi-precious stones out of the river for some time. Uh, a lot of that property was not recovered, some of it was, and the, the offenders were captured and um, went to prison. What an extraordinary story. And I suppose it's possible that some of those semi-precious jewels are still there lying, I suppose, now with the e-bikes. Yeah, that's right. Or perhaps they washed, found themselves washed out into the middle of Port Phillip Bay, perhaps, you know. <laughs> From 1986 to 2012, you were the Detective Senior Sergeant in charge of Crime Stoppers which I think was where I met you when I was working for Channel 7 Today Tonight. How was Crime Stoppers created and how did you get involved, Val? It was actually 95 I went to Crime Stoppers, 95 to 2012, I think it was, you're right. I wanted to go back to the CIB and that position came up and it was the first one I applied for and I was successful in getting it. Crime Stoppers was an interesting thing because it was established in the US and it was basically looking at crime and using the unsolved crime and using the media 
to help promote that crime just for the purpose of, sol of solving it. And the, the management behind the whole Crime Stoppers uh, enterprise was a mixture of police and private sector and commercial sector and media. So you had that cross-the-board expertise to, to do it, which was really interesting. So you look at it like crime is a product and you're trying to market it in for the purpose of not selling it, but to solve it. So it's no different to anything else. And the, the media become your... Your, your marketing people, your PR people that are getting out there and pushing that crime out to the community in order to get the information back in to help solve it. Very highly successful. Channel 9 and Jeff Wilkinson, of course, were very much behind it. And I can still recall, you know, every Channel 9 news broadcast, I think, it, I don't know if it was every day, but it was certainly every week, you'd see the Crime Stoppers section and the request for public assistance. And you're right, it was highly successful, wasn't it? It is, and it's still going, and it's, it's uh, international. And, yes, Jeff was the, was the... He brought it to Australia on a Churchill Fellowship under Mick Miller, who was the Chief Commissioner at the time. And I think I would say that probably uh, Peter, Peter Hitchener on, on Channel 9 is the longest-serving contributor to the Crime Stoppers program in this country. I can also recall, because I was producing at that stage Victoria's Most Wanted, which was a weekly segment on Today Tonight, and of course that spawned all the Australia's Most Wanted as well. So it's had a real legacy, Crime Stoppers, I think. So congratulations for that. What was your proudest moment in your police career? The moment that you could hang your hat on, Val? Geez, you pull some questions out of your head of your... I was going to out of your hat, don't you, Rochelle? I mean, I don't think about these sort of things. Look, the greatest time I think, the best time I had, would have been as a station commander, in charge of a lot of other police, young police officers, and just working with those young police officers to see their the thrills and you know see how they negotiate the thrills and spills, and mentoring them and coaching them along, and then later in life to see a lot of those young constables now getting into commissioner level. Not just here in Victoria, some have actually gone interstate, uh, deputy commissioners interstate. So I like Any that. names? Any names? No, no, I'm not going to give you any names, but, but um, they'll know who they are. But it's just nice to see people achieve and you know, have a worthy career. You worked in Interpol, Crime Stoppers International, and a number of international companies... So you're really looking, I suppose, at gathering all the intel of crime organisations throughout the world. What are the gaps, do you think, in international crime solving that still exist, Val? Information. It's certainly the, the capture and management of information, that would be the biggest one. And the ability for databases that hold that information to be able to communicate with each other, to you know the, the the meshing the syncing of those databases that's that's a problem uh, in any in any uh, any country when you drill right down to individual policing one of the problems that i see on a regular basis certainly with the missing persons things and we can perhaps talk about that in another another space but is what i would call bias so it's a confirmation or experiential bias where where people understandably as humans have a have a belief as to what's happened and they'll just go with it and they'll they'll try to sort of cherry pick to make that come true when it's in fact uh, they're heading down the wrong wrong rabbit burrow 
Well, see, that's something that's taught, isn't it, in DTS, is that your mind's like a parachute, so it should always be open. But that doesn't occur? No, that's true. You should have, always maintain an open mind, but it's natural for us to, to draw on uh, information and knowledge. Uh, often we don't know where it's coming from. It's in the back of our, it's in our subconscious somewhere, and it may have come from somewhere that um, it wasn't accurate, um, but we run with it, and uh, I have a problem with that investigative gaps, especially in first response, how we respond to things. In criminal investigation now, where does Victoria Police stand, do you think? Well, if you look at some of the more recent cases and some that we can't talk of that are before the courts now, they're certainly, um, certainly amongst the best. I can see the the difference in some cases in recent times where there's been a lot of emphasis on running a... So I'm going back to missing persons here again. When we talk about missing person cases, there's this tendency to look for the missing person, which is what we should be doing, but perhaps to not spend as much time as we should on the investigation behind to find out the backstory and all that sort of thing. There's a lot more of that going on now and the Victoria Police are, are certainly at the, at the forefront of that. The scientific material and scientific, uh, the forensic stuff that they've got now, the technology that they have is, is world, world standard. So I think, uh, I think they're amongst the best. Val, you retired from Victoria Police in 2013. Was that an easy decision? No, you know when the time's right and... Um, I sort of, uh, I was ready to go. I wanted to take on new challenges. I needed a break. I think I could see that the, that the, the police force had changed, that the, the, the way it was being managed, its objectives, its, uh, well, it's basically how it operates, was from a, a new era and it needed new blood. And, you know, I certainly was a bit of an old dinosaur in some respects. So it was time for me to, to move on and allow the young ones to, um, you know, come up. My time. Time to go. Val, you might have retired, but you certainly kept working. In fact, you've been doing consultancy work for Stopline. What does that involve? That's one of your longest contracts you've been working on for some time. Yeah, it's a part-time position that I have. I, I have done some full-time work with them. So it's, uh, I'm a private investigator licensed in Victoria. And what Stopline does is that uh, it, it's involved in investigating... Uh, illegal, corrupt or unethical behaviour in a workplace. Now, that's right across all the whole workplace. So we've got everything from retail to mining to government to you name it. And so it's a combination of investigations for those groups as well as providing a whistleblowing service for employees, subcontractors, that type of thing to give us the information about something that's just not quite right that's going on in the workplace. It actually reminds me, I don't know if you ever recall, of a place uh, or an organisation called Job Watch. Does that also, does it include that? I don't know. I've, I've, I've heard of that Job Watch before, but not sure what it is. It was, it's certainly now finished, but I was just, it was something at one stage I remember working on the investigators with, and that was another organisation that looked at fraudulent behaviour and sort of unethical behaviour in the workplace. Anyway, as I said, you might have retired, but you certainly kept going. You also worked with Interpol on Operation Infrared, and you were officially recognised by the US State Marshal and Department of Justice. 
How did that feel, being internationally recognised for the work that you've done? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I'm sort of glad you mentioned that because, you know, I forget about a lot of these things. Yeah, that, that was really good. It was certainly unexpected and it actually came out of... It's an interesting story. We, we had... I've got to be careful what I say here. We were looking for a particular crook that was wanted by the, or an offender that we knew had jumped um, national borders and it was wanted in New Zealand. And the information as to where he was came from another country. I won't say what country. And placed him in Samoa. So cut a long story short, he was arrested and... A side benefit was was that the Secretary General of, uh, of Interpol was able to, was communicating them with Samoa, who at that time were not members of the Interpol group. And as a result of that arrest and the interaction between the Secretary General and the, I don't know, the government in Samoa, Samoa became the 160 or 70-something member of, of Interpol. And the, the award was for a fugitive apprehension, an international collaboration in fugitive uh, investigation. It was awarded by the U.S. Marshal Service at the International Fugitives Conference in Toronto, which I didn't go to. I had no idea about it. I sort of found out about it later, and uh, it's somewhere in the in my back office. <laughs> Does a detective ever stop investigating? Well, we all stop doing everything some somewhere down the track, but. Um, Sadly, but uh, I don't know. I I can't stop. I've got to. I've got to keep going. I have to keep my mind active. That was the thing that worried me when I left policing. Is um, you know, I could sure I could take up some sort of sport or take up some sort of hobby, but I really wanted to keep my mind active, and so that's. I'm I'm still going. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop. Never. What drives you? I think. I think this is going to sound a bit sort of uh, a bit corny, but. I think I need to establish that I'm sort of worthy to be on this planet. I need to put in. I need to achieve. And, I, and certainly with what I'm doing at the moment, I like to see some form of, uh, I don't know, justice or whatever for, for victims, for people. Val, finally, what's next for you? What's, you mentioned you're, on a, uh, you're working on something in the moment, but um, what is next for you? I want to. I would like to continue working on the missing persons cold cases uh, and understanding that genre of um, tragedy um, a lot more. I want to keep working on that. Keep spending time in the bush and um, tidy up my house and the garden and that sort of thing. Yeah, but uh, and read. Keep read, read, read. Is that important? Anyone who's interested in being a, you know, a member, a detective, or a member of Vicpol, is that what you'd advise them to do? Well, certainly not. Not, not gardening while they should be investigating crime. I think. I think the the advice I would give anyone in policing anywhere, and it's been said before, so it's not something I've created, is that whatever you come up against, pull it apart. Pull it apart. Understand every single component of it. What understand what you're looking at. What makes it tick. Then once you've once you've done that, come up with a hypothesis as to what you think happened, and then try to disprove that hypothesis, to prove yourself wrong. 
and get others to help you prove yourself wrong. And if you can't prove yourself wrong, then you've probably got it right. Val, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for sitting with me on the Crime Couch today. Thanks, Rochelle. Always a pleasure. Thanks for joining me. I'm Rochelle Jackson, and I look forward to your company next time on the Crime Couch.